You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Listen to We Are Libertarians at wearelibertarians.com. My name is Chris Spengel and I host a show where we talk about the stories you and your friends are talking about and then we give you libertarian solutions so you sound smarter when you're talking to your friends. We're going to make you sound like a genius. Tune in now at wearelibertarians.com. Hey, welcome to, uh, I almost said we are libertarians. Welcome to the Chris Spangle Show. Uh, definitely not used to doing this, but uh, we will. You're listening on the We Are Libertarians Network. Uh, I am your host, Chris Spangle. If you don't know who I am, I've been involved in media and politics for 15 years now and worked for the Libertarian Party of Indiana for an advertising and radio, talk radio. I am a libertarian, so we look at things from a libertarian point of view. Happy to have you here. Uh, if you don't listen to We Are Libertarians or our other fine programs, then please do so now. Go to wearelibertarians.com, grab those shows, or just search We Are Libertarians in your uh, your podcast app search, and you'll find us. Um, love to have you join the team. So we are brought to you by our Patreon funders. We don't, it's not that we don't do advertising, it's just that I try not to do advertising so we can maintain some independence here on the program, but uh, we are made possible by our generous, wonderful patrons. Uh, Now, here on the show today, we're going to talk a little bit about the economy. Uh, There's been a lot of talk this week about a recession coming. Donald Trump has been fighting that perception, saying you're talking us into an economy. Now, I don't know if that you uh, can or can't talk the economy into a a recession. I don't don't know that... uh, yeah, a lot of it is perception, but at the same time, economic forces are fairly um, separated from from the actual economy. But let, we're going to dive into it and research this idea a little bit and give you some information on the recession. We'll kind of uh, answer that question. You know, are we are we heading to a recession? Or can we talk our way into one? We'll kind of discuss at the end of the episode. Um, thank you to Sam Schultz, our great researcher, our head researcher here at the We Are Libertarians Network for this great research and uh, for helping me get prepped for the show. If you want to join the research team, hit me up at editor at wearelibertarians.com. Uh, now, let's talk about what a recession is. So let's define it first. All right. So the loose definition of a recession is two straight quarters of declines in the real GDP, the gross domestic product. But the official declaration of a recession would have to come from the National Bureau of Economic Research, NBER. And that is a private organization of economists, and it determines a recession, which determines a recession occurs when there is a significant decline in economic activity that lasts for more than a few months. So um, we, I don't know that we're there yet. But we'll continue on and, and talk about that. So NBEAR declares a recession retroactively, though. For instance, it didn't confirm the Great Recession until November 2008, 11 months after it had really begun. Recessions are also partially a mass psychology phenomenon. And if we think there will be a recession, essentially everyone produces a bit less in anticipation of lower demand. Lower production takes place in a recession. And you think about this. Like if you're thinking about switching jobs, you're sitting there going – Eh, I could go to this job where I could be more productive or I could make more money, which will 
increase your output into the economy, but I'm going to stay where I'm at. I'm not going to switch jobs because there's a recession and I don't want to be job hunting in the middle of a recession. So, so it can have, there can be somewhat of a, an effect when we we're quote talking our way into a recession. Now, since about the 1980s, with the exception of the great recession, uh, which happened under Obama, uh, business cycle fluctuations have been a lot less volatile. The ups and downs haven't been as up, and the downs haven't been as down. Now, recessions aren't as drastic, but periods of growth that make up for them aren't as great either. So the economy has kind of... uh, We've warned on this program for a long time that, you know, look at Japan and their stagflation. We could be heading towards that because of our bad monetary policy, where you just have this zombie economy that doesn't really grow, doesn't really contract, and everyone's just kind of stuck where they are. And uh, some of that evidence is starting to show that the growth isn't as good and the lows aren't as low. Um, So we're all on SSRIs uh, economically. Now, let's talk about some of the indicators of a recession. The inverted yield curve. Now, when the the yield on the 10-year and – excuse me – anniversary bond, when the 10-year treasury bond sinks below the yield on the two-year bond. Now, a treasury bond is basically – You know, bonds are what your grandparents got you for Christmas when we were kids. You're going to get 1%, 2% growth on this bond, but it's a safe place to put your money. Not like that wild stock market where you're not going to get growth. The bond is just, it's just, you buy it and it's backed by the government and that will always be there. It's very stable. So are you buying a two-year bond or a 10-year bond? So the yield curve is when the 10-year treasury bond sinks below the yield on the two-year bond. Now, right now, the yield curve is inverted, meaning that the markets think future interest rates will be lower than they are today. It's a reflection of how investors feel about the economy's future. An inverted yield curve appears when short-term investments pay more than long-term ones, and it generally reflects a pessimistic mood amongst investors about the economy's future performance. When the yield curve stays inverted for three months, as it did earlier this year, that's a sign of a possible recession. The yield curve has uh, inverted before every U.S. recession since 1955, and the time from inversion to onset of a recession is long and variable. It could take anywhere from 10 to 36 months. Uh, Looking at yield curves, the New York Fed now puts the probability of a recession by July 2020 at 31.5%. Now, that... I heard on Planet Money, they actually talked to the guy who, quote, invented the yield curve. He, um, I think his name was Campbell. He was an economist who, who uh, teaches at Duke, and he's the one that identified this way back in the 80s, uh, and it has been pretty dead on for the most part. Um, now, the Challenger layoff survey is up 35% year-to-date from 2018, in large part from the auto industry. Either a spike in jobless claims or an increase in the overall unemployment rate can be an indicator of a recession. The initial jobless claims number is a good metric because it is released every Thursday morning and is a high-frequency data point that can indicate whether companies are starting to lay off workers. Unemployment is considered a lagging indicator, which means there's some time that went by and it's like the effects trickle down and then you get laid off and that's a lagging indicator. And it is unlikely to be the first place to pick up on signs of trouble. But what it lacks in timeliness, it makes up for in reliability, mainly because of those extra data points. So the unemployment rate is pretty much always 
uh, spiking in a recession, and it rarely rises much without one. Unemployment is currently trending down. When that has been the case historically, there's been less than a 1 in 10 chance of a recession within a year, according to the Brookings Institution analysis. Now, a three months, uh, another indicator is a three-month uh, three average of non-farm employment. Uh, the three-month average, my goodness, I apologize to you listeners. Um, the, a three-month average of non-farm employment gains fall significantly. The ISM manufacturing index falling below about 45 for an extended period of time. Every month, the Institute for Supply Management surveys purchasing managers at major manufacturers about their company's orders, inventories, hiring, and other activity. And then it aggregates those responses into an index. Readings above 50 indicate the manufacturing sector is growing. Below 50, it's contracting. The manufacturing index has its advantages in that it is released early, often on the first day of the subsequent month, and unlike a lot of economic data, it doesn't get revised. However, manufacturing no longer drives the U.S. economy, which means contractions in this sector don't guarantee a recession. For example, the American auto industry has technically been in a recession for months. Now, NBEAR, as we mentioned, considers the following economic measures when determining a recession. Employees on non-farm payrolls, personal income minus transfer payments, industrial production, and manufacturing and trade sales. Based on the in-bear numbers, the average trough-to-trough uh, trough direction – that's a new, new one for me – the average trough-to-trough trough direction is 70 months or about six years. It's been almost 12 years since the last trough. Troughs are the low point of a recession – Okay, there we go. Recessions occur between peaks and troughs. Uh, consumer spending and retail sales numbers are a good indicator of consumer confidence and willing to spend rather than save. Um, so consumer spending accounts actually uh, account for close to 68% of United States GDP. Uh, Morgan Stanley has suggested a 15% year-over-year drop in the Conference Board's Consumer Confidence Index, and that's a reliable predictor of a recession. Uh, their U.S. Consumer Confidence Indicator is currently up 11.4 points. Um, so that's up as opposed to down. However, the prelimin- preliminary results for the University of Michigan's Consumer Confidence Survey shows a 6.3 drop from last month and a 4.3 year-to-year fall. So slight drop in consumer confidence in one survey and uh, a little bit up in another. So... Um, when we come back, we're going to talk about the trade war and if that plays any kind of uh, role in this. But based on the indicators, as of now, it's a little murky as to whether or not we're going to see a recession. I mean, at some point, you have to have a recession. You're going to have a downturn. We all know it's going to happen at some point, but everybody's trying to figure out when. Um, but we could probably avoid it if we ended the trade war. So we're going to take a break, and then when we get back, we're going to talk a little bit about that trade war. So uh, we will be back in just one moment. We are supported by listeners like you, so visit We Are Libertarians. We are supported by listeners like you, so visit We Are Libertarians.com forward slash wishlist to help upgrade our equipment. 
It's time to shake up your podcast feed, folks, by subscribing to Lions of Liberty, the only libertarian variety show out there. Spend Mondays with me, Mark Clare, as I feature in-depth interviews with great names in the libertarian community and fun roundtable discussions. Electric Liberty Land with me, Brian McWilliams, every Wednesday, your weekly dose of comedy, culture, and liberty. And Felony Fridays with me, John Odermatt, where I expose injustice in the broken criminal justice system. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and at lionsofliberty.com. The foundation of what we do is conversation. Join in on our social media. Find all of the links at wearelibertarians.com. All right, we are back here on The Chris Spangle Show. My name is Chris Spangle, and uh, we are talking about the economy today. We're talking about whether or not there is a recession. I've never seen anything like uh, Donald Trump. Obviously, neither have you. Uh, but I've never seen anybody, you know, cut the corporate tax rate, get this great economy going, and then shoot it right in the face with a trade war with China, one of our biggest trading partners. Uh, and it is a, a serious issue. So let's talk a little bit about the trade war and if it's playing a role in the recession. Uh, now, on July 5th, the Trump administration imposed 25% tariffs on $34 billion worth of Chinese goods, including electronics, aircraft parts, and medical devices. China responded by imposing 25% tariffs on $34 billion worth of U.S. goods, including soybeans, automobiles, and lobsters. Lobsters. Okay. At the start of the month, Donald Trump announced that he would put a 10% tariff on $300 billion of Chinese goods, and China retaliated by stopping buying agricultural goods from the U.S. and allowing its currency to weaken. Uh, on Friday, 823, just two days ago, Donald Trump announced that in response to the $75 billion in tariffs that China just imposed on the U.S. starting October 1st, the existing 25% tariffs on $200 billion in Chinese goods would raise to 30%. And the 10% tariffs would be increased to 15% on September 1st. Now, Zero Hedge says, quote, And now we await China's retaliation as Beijing has no choice but to retaliate and again in a tit-for-tat fashion and is likely to hike the rate on its own tariffs targeting U.S. goods, which will then prompt Trump to raise tariffs even more, and at which point China will retaliate in kind until eventually all trade between the U.S. and China grinds to a halt. At which point, the question is, which country will succumb to recession and or social unrest first? So think about that. <laughs> Donald Trump is playing a game of tit for tat with China, which literally doesn't give a single shit about its... its I, I was, as I've been studying Les Mis um, in Vietnam, uh, red was basically the color of non-surrender and the, uh, a big reason why communists in the uh, early 20th century adopted red was because of lame is when they raised the red flag in the barricade and it, it was a sign of absolutely no surrender we're going to fight to the death as well as uh, a sign for poor people fighting um, and when you look at vietnam the reason they won vietnam is because they literally view their 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 people as expendable and we'll just throw whatever up. I mean, when you're talking about Chinese communists, they literally don't see their people. They don't really care about social unrest. Like, look at what's going on in Hong Kong. They're amassing troops on the border. They will absolutely just march into Hong Kong and shut everything down and turn it into mainland China without a second thought. Like, they, they, they're, they have a much bigger stomach for social unrest than we do. 
Uh, and Americans will not tolerate social unrest more than we already ha- are having, and we will not tolerate a recession. We want growth. And so it's very possible that Trump puts us into a recession and loses overall. Uh, you just don't – China is, is uh, sociopathic, <laughs> to be honest. So let's talk about how the U.S.-China trade war turned into a currency war. So on August 5th, the Trump administration labeled China a currency manipulator after China allowed the value of its currency to fall. The designation, which the U.S. last used against China in 94, is a more symbolic move than a substantive one. The trade war now has become a currency war, said C. Fred Bergstein, the director emeritus of the Peterson Institute for International Economics. So what exactly is currency manipulation? When the value of the dollar is strong, Americans have more purchasing power abroad. But American exports are also relatively expensive for the other countries to purchase. When the dollar is weaker, it buys fewer import of goods but makes American exports relatively cheaper for foreign buyers, which spurs exports. Some countries try to purposely weaken their currencies to lift exports. China has held down the value of their currency in the past to speed its economic value and become a factory to the world. A cheaper Chinese currency helps Beijing offset much of the pain of American tariffs, which would otherwise would make Chinese goods considerably more expensive in the United States. So they basically weaken their currency to offset the pain of the tariffs for their side, but it makes it more expensive for our side to purchase goods. Um, twice a year, the Treasury Department puts out a report that analyzes whether countries are manipulating their currencies. In the most recent report in May, the department criticized China's practices, but said China only met one of the several criteria for determining whether a country was a manipulator. Now, what, what control do they have over their currency? The U.S. and many other developed countries let the market determine the value of their currencies. With indirect central influence, when the Fed raises or lowers interest rates, for instance, here in America... Now, China manages its, current, its currency more actively. Officials set a daily benchmark exchange rate for the Ren... I'm never going to get this. The Renminbi. Renminbi. But allow traders to push the value up or down within a set range. Officials then use the trading activity to help determine the next day's exchange rate. The Chinese government has turned to its vast foreign exchange reserves accumulated through years of China's exporting surplus. Beijing had once used those dollars to purchase renminbi and prop up its value. Recently, however, China let the renminbi fall to the... uh, the, We're just going to call this the ren and stempi. The ren ren and stempi fall to the lowest level in over a decade. Um, Now, according to Carl Quintilla of CNBC, uh, Quintanilla, The Trump administration figured they could disrupt world trade and get away with it, since our economy is one of the least reliant on trade. They believe it will hurt China more than the U.S. What they may have underestimated was the behavioral economics of capital deployment, the degree to which businesses and households get spooked from erratic policy change. Indicators that may no longer prove reliable... um, in terms of recession. So let's let's switch gears just a little bit. Go back to the recession conversation. And what are some things that we used to look at in terms of uh, a, a coming recession but are no longer really relevant in the global economy? Well, the first is exports. It used to be a good measure of activity. They are measured frequently and accurately, but recent trade wars create drops in exports that might not reflect 
fading health, the fading health of companies. Housing starts, a term for a number of new privately owned housing units permitted or constructed, so new homes, may have been very reliable indicator in the past, but big changes in the housing market and the way in which houses are financed make today's housing numbers an imperfect comparison to the past. Uh, third, industrial production. It's another monthly measure that is actual, accurately measured. However, the industrial production is becoming smaller and smaller part of the economy. Excuse me, I hiccuped. So now, however, we should note that all three of these indicators are currently flat or falling. So let's talk about some current economic numbers. Where are we at with some of these numbers? Um, The markets fell after Donald Trump and U.S. companies were hereby ordered to find an alternate to doing business with China following Beijing's latest tariff increase on $75 billion. So the guy said, you're hereby ordered to stop working with China, and the markets fell drastically. Uh, the Dow Jones sank 2.4%, and the S&P fell 2.6%, and the NASDAQ dropped 3%. Bond prices soared, sending yields lower. The yield on the 10-year Treasury fell 1.52%. Now, the U.S. has now added jobs for 106 months in a row, the longest streak on record. The unemployment rate at 3.7% is the closest to its lowest recorded level in 3.6% in 1969. In a different show, we'll talk about how they manipulate that number and how it's not totally accurate. (laughs) Um, But the pace of jobs in terms of growth is slowing. Employers added 165,000 jobs a month on average to over the first seven months of 2019, down from an average of 223,000 a month in 2018. The U.S., the world's largest economy, accounts for about a quarter of global GDP. You heard that right. The American economy accounts for a quarter of the global domestic product. Last quarter, U.S. GDP slowed to 2.1%, down from 3.1%, the first in three months of 2019, and below 2018's 2.9% growth. Uh, Household debt continues to rise, with mortgage debt currently higher than it was at the peak level of 2008. Mortgage balances, the largest component of household debt, rose by $162 billion in the second quarter to $9.4 trillion uh, overall, just higher than the previous high of $9.3 trillion from the third quarter of 2008. Non-housing balances increased by $37 billion in the second quarter with a $17 billion increase in auto loan balances and a $20 billion increase in credit card balances, offsetting an $8 billion decline in student loan balances. So we increased as a nation in debt, $162 billion more in debt and mortgages, um, an overall non-housing debt by $37 billion in just the second quarter earlier this year, we as consumers added $17 billion in debt in auto loans, $20 billion increase in credit card balances. So more people, $3 billion more in credit cards than auto loans, and $8 billion decline in student loan balances, which is good. So y'all are out there paying your student loans, but you're putting it on credit cards. Don't make me break out my Dave Ramsey. <laughs> um, so... What happens in a recession and possible outcomes from a recession in the near future? So what does a recession look like if it happens? Not including the Great Recession, recessions since the end of World War II have lasted 6 to 16 months, 
averaging 10 months. Okay, the Great Recession lasted 18 months. So let's talk about its effect on jobs. During a recession, jobs disappear. The largest monthly decline in employment in the last 10 recessions was about 2.6% on average. So we'd be a little over 5 6% in the unemployment rate where we're at 3 now. The biggest losses are usually in manufacturing and related industries, sectors that rely on more discretionary spending and also lose significant jobs. So employment in financial industries shrink too because businesses and individuals borrow less. So people kind of just stay where they're at. They don't move jobs. They don't move houses. They just kind of stick to where they're at. Um, And meanwhile, we lose manufacturing, (laughs) which is where we actually make things and turn into a service economy, which typically is not a good idea. So uh, jobs that feel the effects of a recession less than others are healthcare, professional services like legal and accounting, government, and education. So basically, if you're tied to the government, you're going to be okay. What happens with stocks? While stocks tank during a recession, they bounce back quicker. Typically, the stock market begins to fall from its peak months before the actual recession starts. It also starts to recover before the recession technically ends. So the recession that followed the dot-com bubble started in March 2001, but stocks had already peaked 14 months prior. The Dow fell 11% before the recession and began and bottomed at 30% decline in September 2001. The recession didn't end until November 2001, at which the point had rallied 20%. Uh, So we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll keep talking a little bit about that. We're going to talk about the the Federal Reserve next. Uh, and what it might do during a recession. So with that, we say uh, stay tuned, please. We are supported by listeners like you. Donate per episode through Patreon at wearelibertarians.com. The Boss Hog of Liberty podcast is the latest hit on the We Are Libertarians network. Each week, Jeremiah Morrill and Dakota Davis explore life in Henry County, Indiana. It's a show about our circle of friends, public officials, and our experiences. 80% observation, life, humor, and 20% politics. Boss Hog of Liberty is the day-to-day happenings of Henry County, Indiana, which is just like your community. Add us on iTunes and sample us today. Dear Leader, are you tired of banging your head against the proverbial wall of politics and getting nowhere toward actually making your life more free? Are you tired of interview podcasts that have the same guests as every other libertarian interview podcast out there? Are you tired of hearing the same news stories that you can hear on the mainstream media? then you need to listen to The Lava Flow, where we don't do politics and we don't do the major stories that exist only to divide you. We talk about news that affects you and your freedom, and we work to find solutions that can actually help you to be more free. Lava stands for libertarian, anarcho-capitalist, voluntarist, and agorist. And if you consider yourself to be in any of those categories, all of those categories, or just interested in learning about them, then The Lava Flow podcast is for you. Check us out at thelavaflow.com. The Lava Flow Podcast, channeling the flow of information to the libertarian, anarcho-capitalist, voluntarist, and agorist community. Thelavaflow.com. The foundation of what we do is conversation. Join in on our social media. Find all of the links at wearelibertarians.com. All right, we are back. My name is Chris Spangle here on The Chris Spangle Show. Uh, you are listening on the We Are Libertarians Network. Please go subscribe to all of our shows. We would appreciate it. And if you want to support the program, join the We Are Libertarians Patreon. So we're talking about the economy today. We're talking about if there is a recession on the way. 
And let's jump into the Federal Reserve and how it might act should we have a recession. So the Federal Reserve typically lowers the federal funds rate by 5% to counter a downturn. However, the rate is currently at an artificially low 2.25%, two and a quarter. Now, the Federal is much like the conventional economic wisdom, the idea that recessions are caused by the free market and cured by the Federal Reserve is the exact opposite of the truth. Interest rates are the price of money. Like all prices, they should be set by the market in order to accurately convey information about economic conditions. When the Federal Reserve lowers interest rate, it distorts those signals. This leads investors and businesses to misjudge the true state of the economy, resulting in misallocation of resources. These misallocations can create an economic boom. However, since the boom is rooted in misperceptions of the true state of the economy, it can't last. Eventually, the Federal Reserve's created a bubble. Eventually, the Federal Reserve created a bubble bursts, resulting in a recession. Uh, so, market inter- intervention always fails. Now, re- recessions are just not a feature of the free market. They are an inevitable result of Congress granting a secretive central bank power to in- influence the price of mon- money. Now, if you don't know, the Federal Reserve is uh, created by Congress in 1913 and controls the American money supply, and it was to control inflation and to prevent booms and busts like they had seen over the last few decades. And uh, it eventually becomes, uh, it takes on the role of being responsible for creating jobs, and it continues to intervene in the money supply, which creates these little bubbles, and uh, it ends up, causing recessions and causing more harm than good. It's why the Great Recession ends up getting extended. It's why we have periods of massive inflation uh, of our money supply. It's why a hot dog was five cents in 1950 and now it's $2. Or a car was 5000 and now it's 35000 for instance. So uh, the best thing for Congress and the Federal Reserve to do after the bubble burst is to let the recession run its course instead of starting the boom and bust cycle over again by spending billions on, quote, economic stimulus and printing new money. Now, uh, let's say, could Donald Trump lose the election over this? The rules of politics have changed, but they haven't been suspended in the state of economy as one, if not the leading factor for success of an incumbent in the election year. So if Donald Trump, uh, if we see an, a recession, which is partially why he's flailing, he's saying they're trying to create this recession, they're trying to get me out of office, they're talking it into existence, so when we get into a recession and everybody's freaking out, they'll vote against me. Um, and and as, we, as we have seen, that recessions are essentially uh, our own making, so maybe there's some truth to it. Uh, immigration does slow down in times of recession. Many people trying to cross into the U.S. are doing so for an increased economic opportunity. If there are fewer jobs here, less people will be looking to seek refuge in the United States. Now, domestic trends might worsen. Drug overdoses, suicide rates, middle-aged mortality, the slumping birth rates, which have all seen recent increases. Birth rates have seen a decrease, by the way. Might worsen in a struggling economy. To put it in other terms, the the life expectancy of Americans has dropped two of the last three years uh, because of deaths of despair, which we just listed. Now, as New York Times put it, the venture capital subsidy to American consumers will dry up. 
Derek Thompson of The Atlantic tweeted, if you work at WeWork, drive home with Uber, and then order by DoorDash, you're engaging with three companies that are projected to lose about $13 billion this year. Those losses are supposed to end with an eventual leap into profitability. In a bad economy, they may end up a lot more, uh, end up losing a lot more and suddenly uh, than that. Many of the money losing long game playing Silicon Valley companies may find it hard to survive in a recession because they're backstopped by all this venture capital money that may just not have the, the capital to flow towards these venture. I mean, think about how many people in your world drive for Uber. Uh, it's a lot in mine. Um, they, they make a living doing it. So to lose those jobs, I mean, a lot of people who are driving for Uber did it as because they lost their other job or they were just trying to do something else. And then all of a sudden it's like, uh, they like it. So they do it full time and, uh, to lose that second backup job, whew, that'd be rough. So recessions in a truly free market economy, would a free market economy actually have recessions? Now, although the government policy and actions of the Federal Reserve create the boom and bust cycle, it doesn't mean that there wouldn't be times of economic difficulties in a free market. As the prophet Ron Paul wrote, quote, businesses and even whole industries would still close because of products changing consumer tastes. New competitors offering superior products or bad business decisions would go out of business. There may even be bubbles in a free market as some investors misread the fads as permanent changes in our consumer preferences. But periods of downturn would be shorter, and most would only affect specific industries rather than the entire economy. So if the deficits are this huge now, what happens when a recession hits? Because one of my fears, personally, is that we have one of these economic downturns, and with the amount of debt that we have and deficits, we, we get into a very scary, bad place, and hyperinflation or massive deflation takes uh, place, and economic ruin befalls us all. Um, imagine, uh, dating me. So the treasury department recently released a new budget deficit number. And with two months to go in the fiscal year, the 2019's budget deficit is the highest it's been since the U S was still being flooded with fiscal stimulus dollars back in 2012. As of July, 2019, the year to date budget deficit was 866 billion. The last time it was this high was the 2012 fiscal year when the deficit was nearly 1.1 trillion. What is especially notable is that the deficits have grown in a time of economic expansion when they're usually smaller. After the 1990-91 recession, deficits generally got smaller until growing again in the wake of the dot-com busts. Deficit then shrank during the expansion from 02 to 12. During the first part of the Great Recession expansion, deficits shrank, but since late 2015, They've only gotten larger. Now, the situation is a result of both growing federal spending and falling tax revenues. Uh, As of the second quarter of 2019, year-over-year growth was nearly at a nine-year high. Federal spending rose 7.5% year-over-year during the second quarter of this year. Meanwhile, the Federal Reserve growth has fallen with only one quarter out of the last eight showing year-over-year growth. Now, historically, a widening gap between the tax revenue and a government spending tends to indicate a recession or a period immediately following a recession. So all the way back in 2009, the recession and its aftermath, i.e. massive amounts of stimulus, drove deficits beyond the trillion dollar mark for four years in a row. With 2019's deficit total now pushing towards 900 billion, it should hit a trillion this year, actually, 
we should perhaps expect deficits to top two trillion when the next recession hits, and probably for several years. Two trillion. <laughs> two trillion dollar deficits. This reckoning can be put off, however, so long as the dollar remains the world's reserve currency. This is incredibly important for people to hear. And the central bank can continue to monetize the debt. As long as the dollar reigns supreme, the central bank can keep this up without causing high levels of price inflation. But when the day comes that the dollar can no longer count on being stockpiled worldwide, things will look very different. The central bank won't be able to simply buy up at will anymore, buy up debt anymore. Interest rates will rise, and Congress will have to make choices about how many government amenities will be cut in order to pay the interest bill. Americans who live off federal programs will feel the pinch. State governments will have to scale back as federal grants dry up. The U.S. will have to scale back its overstretched foreign policy. Not all of this is a problem, of course, but lower-income households and the elderly will suffer the most. Everything may seem fine now, but by running headlong into massive deficits, even during a boom, the feds are setting up an economy for failure in the future. So, that's a big reason why a lot of this is, a lot of this deficit talk and the entitlement reforms that are desperately needed are so important. Because the people, when we talk about austerity, as you heard, you know, in Greece, for instance, you have to make adjustments now or you're going to be forced to make adjustments later in emergencies. And if you, if Congress could make adjustments to these big entitlement programs, which are the main source of our deficits, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, instead of expanding them, like, all the Democrats want to do, if they could make changes to these programs and reduce spending and do it on a long-term slow uh, slope downward, it'd be a lot more palatable and it'd be a lot less destructive to the lower income people in our society. But there will come a day because China, Russia, India, many of these countries want China specifically wants to dominate. They don't care about you and me. <laughs> they don't care about their own citizens. They care about domination. Uh, they're they're communist after all. Uh, they don't have any problem destroying our economy and our way of life so that they can become the dominant society in the world. They just don't. And if we don't start to reform our fiscal house and get on a better path, there's going to come a time when China, Russia, India, Middle Eastern nations, Iran, these countries have all kind of talked already about, you know, not using the American dollar to trade amongst each other. Once the U.S. dollar is not the worldwide global currency, it's going to be very painful and we're not going to get to choose our destiny. We're going to be forced to react. And that's the real problem with the deficit. Uh, and I don't think people realize that. There was a great article in the New York in the uh, Wall Street Journal. Uh, double up, double up. Uh, it's time to start worrying about the national debt by Valerie Ramey. Um, e expecting economic growth to rescue the U.S. from unprecedented federal deficits is a dangerous gamble as history shows. And it's a companion to 
a lot of this uh, uh, that we're talking about. And it kind of gives you a picture of what happens when we're no longer the global currency. So look up that article. Quote, it's time to start worrying about the national debt at the Wall Street Journal. Um, Let's take a break. We'll be right back. And uh, we'll talk to you in just one moment. Harry, what are you doing? Playing Deep Space Waifu. (laughs) Is this an actual game? Sure is. I'm going to do it. I'm putting on one hand mode. (laughs) Okay, don't do that in the middle of the studio. So what are you trying to get yourself a waifu? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you defend your waifu and you try to undress you with with the gun. It's really cool. All right. Well, I have no idea how to turn this into an ad for our Patreon, but I'm going to. How how do waifus and Patreon go together, Harry? Well, you know, if you like your waifu and you want to support her, you should also support We Are Libertarians. Why? Because if you don't, you know, your uh, your 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 waifu gets you know attacked by bombs or something like that, and you got to be able to defend her. <laughs> Please support our waifus. <clears throat> All right. Well, I, with this madness going on in the background, let me tell you about our Patreon. We. Let me tell you about our Patreon. Long ago, opinion journalism only existed in newspapers and magazines, but the internet has given rise to new voices like We Are Libertarians. And we are here every week, every day now, day in, day out, talking about current events and giving you arguments for your friends and family. And uh, we have a, we have a big network. We have like 20 to 40 people involved in We Are Libertarians, and all those people need equipment. They need software. They uh, we really need your support, and uh, if you want to support independent uh, media, then you you have to actually put your your wallet where your mouth is. Let me say that. So become a citizen, five dollars a month, and get our bonus content, CD quality, and commercial free shows. And before anyone else, at ten dollars, nobility get to access the exclusive Facebook group and a notification to join the live stream and chat with us during the show. Members at the Royal Court get a twenty five dollar poster and a free. And they get free shipping in the new We Are Libertarian store. You can also join the Emperor's Circle at $100, and you get to sit in on our co-host strategy calls or our editorial meetings, and you get private access to Dear Leader and a guest spot on the show. And we mention your show every single week. So this is the number one way to help the show. So join now at wearelibertarians.com or patreon.com slash wearelibertarians. Harry, how many waifus did you catch? Just one. Right now I'm defending her. Almost at the boss level. Five stars right now. Are those dry, boring, run-of-the-mill political talk shows putting you to sleep on your commute or at work? Are you ready for some fun? Look no further, Blast Off with Johnny Rocket is a Seattle-based podcast expressing viewpoints of free markets, voluntary exchange, badass music, wicked banner, and of course, drinking. The Blast Off doesn't shy from the truth, but always brings the party. Let's rock and roll, Raylene. Bring it on, Johnny. You can check us out at thelaunchpadmedia.com forward slash blastoff. Again, that's thelaunchpadmedia.com forward slash blastoff. Launchpad Media. Always launching ideas in your direction. now I'm crying over 
time to shake up your podcast feed, folks, by subscribing to Lions of Liberty, the only libertarian variety show out there. Spend Mondays with me, Mark Clare, as I feature in-depth interviews with great names in the libertarian community and fun roundtable discussions. Electric Liberty Land with me, Brian McWilliams, every Wednesday, your weekly dose of comedy, culture, and liberty. And Felony Fridays with me, John Odermatt, where I expose injustice in the broken criminal justice system. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and at lionsofliberty.com. We are supported by listeners like you, so visit wearelibertarians.com forward slash wishlist to help upgrade our equipment. All right, we are back here on the Chris Spangle Show. My name is Chris Spangle. You're listening on the We Are Libertarians Network, and we are talking about the economy today. Just a few, uh, just kind of examining where we're at. Will there be a recession? What are we looking at? What could happen? Um, so far, kind of inconclusive. Um, but one of the reasons that we don't totally know is, according to 538, excuse me, I have a, I, uh, like a hair on my tongue. Uh, all right, it's not cat hair. At least we got that going for us. Um, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I wish I could be professional, but I'm kind of retarded, uh, as Alex Jones says. Uh, according to a piece of 538, economists are bad at predicting recessions. Uh, in a survey released earlier this week by the National Association of Business Economics, 38% of economists predicted that the country will slip into a, an economic downturn next year. And another recent poll of economists put the chances of a recession in the next 12 months at one in three. However, quote, very, very few recessions have been predicted not nine months or a year in advance, Prakash Lugani says, an economist at the International Monetary Fund. In 2018, a 2018 study conducted by Lugani and others looked at 153 recessions in 63 countries between 92 and 2014 and found that the vast majority were missed by economists in both the public and private sector. Many people trying to cross into the U.S. Uh, oh, so that's so. Here's the warning: the warning sign, uh, the the cautionary tale. When all these econom- economists are out there warning of a recession, they don't know. <laughs> economists are mostly like pollsters; they're just bullshitting their way through life. Uh, so they don't really know if there's going to be a recession or not. The numbers are softening. And I will say this, um, for the first time ever, we lost a lot of patrons this year, especially earlier in the year for over a two or three month span from like January to May, we lost like 30 patrons and we never have lost more than one, maybe two a month. And we in like three months lost 30 people. Uh, and every one of them said their financial situation changed. Now, I think that typically when you mark that, you're saying, I don't listen to you or I don't like you or I'm upset at something, but I don't want the conflict. I don't want you to know that I'm mad at you. So I'm just going to put I'm broke. Um, that's my guess anyways. Uh, but I don't know how you could possibly hate me. Yeah, I do. Um, but we've lost subscriptions big time. We lost subscriptions at other places where I'm involved in subscription services. The friends that work in sales, like one-to-one sales, like friends that work at trade shows, for instance, had are having some of their worst years ever. The State Fair uh, this year in Indiana 
was not well attended and all the vendors inside of the expo hall, none of them made any money like they had in years past. Now, think about a state fair in Indiana. It's made up of farmers. A lot of farmers didn't come to the state fair this year. They've had horrible a horrible rainy season early on that delayed the crops. Almost catastrophe. The crops are not doing well this year. And then you combine that with the tariffs that are killing them. Uh, you, you see how something like a state fair could get impacted. Well, that, that lack of economic engines hurt all the people that run the, the, the booths in the expo hall that sell the mattresses or uh, the vendors who sell the corn dogs. All that has, you know, so then they have less capital and it kind of spirals. So I, I have thought that over the last few months, as I've kind of been asking friends who work in that kind of direct-to-consumer uh, world, um, but e- but even in friends who work in the industrial side, in the manufacturing side, or road building side, or you know rebar sales, shout out, uh, they all say it's all softening too for them. So I see a lot of softening in uh, a lot of purchases, and I don't. I, I think people are uh, a lot more hesitant, a lot more cautious, if not a lot more broke. So I do think that we are headed towards a recession. I don't think that it is economists and pundits talking our way into a recession. It's the idiot president who doesn't understand economics and keeps putting tariffs on one of our biggest trading partners with no express goal. He thinks there's not going to be any consequences. I don't know what his his idea is is in all this, but it's not good, and it's not going to end well for him. It's going to be the thing that gets an unelected. He's if the economy is good and he's up against one of these loony Democrats, he wins. But if the economy's bad, he loses because people are already tired of his nonsense. They're tired of the buffoonery, and they'll but they'll put up with it if they're making money, if they're if they're doing well. So, and if people aren't doing well, they're just not going to put up with it. They'll they'll fire him. So. That's what that's where I think we're at. So hopefully you learned something. I uh, can't tell you if we're headed to a recession or not, but I, I do think that if the trade war continues, we, we may get there. But all signs are kind of softening, and uh, hopefully you understand a little bit more about it. All right, thank you for listening to The Chris Spangle Show. My name is Chris Spangle, and uh, you're all beautiful people. I love you, and uh, thank you so much for listening to this program. <laughs>